with us today. I want to let you know that our intention of our podcast program is to bring you different perspectives of servant leadership and insights about the how-to part of actually implementing servant leadership, the, the doing, if you will. And today's program is no exception. We're going to do a deep dive today with a person who has been instrumental in the development of many leaders uh, through her work with SLI. Jeannie McGuire is one of our longtime servant leadership consultant, trainer, and coaches. And uh, she's just also a great person to work with. And I've loved seeing the work she's done over the years. And we were thinking, oh, what a great conversation to have Jeannie on our program. So welcome, Jeannie. We're happy to have you. Oh, well, thank you. Delighted to be invited. Wonderful. Well, let's just kind of kick things off. Just if you could help us get started here, just give our audience a little bit about yourself. Oh, yes. And um, my background has been in consulting, training, and coaching since, if you can believe, 1980, starting in Boston, moving into San Diego, and now in, I'm physically located in Northern California. But I did, uh, I did come to servant leadership in this last part of my career really as the best avenue for developing leaders. So it was with great relief I, I found servant leadership. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your relationship with our parent company, Daytron World Communications and Servant Leadership Institute. Before I even go on it, I wanted to say that the reason I was so attracted to this kind of leadership was that in one of my jobs before I became a consultant, I asked the president of a national career counseling firm for his goals that he might, his vision and his goals that he might communicate to his national organization about 58 offices throughout the United States. And he, he said to me, goals? I don't have any goals. And I'm saying, so when he said that, I just felt that was deeply wrong and my heart sank because I, I knew that he wasn't the leader the company needed, you know, because how can you follow someone who has no vision or goal? Mm-hmm. So that was, I just want to say that early in my career, I began to understand that there were leaders worth following and leaders that weren't. So when I met Art, I really developed a relationship with Art because having a relationship with the parent company, Daytron, means having a relationship with Art, who's Datron's CEO and founder of the Institute, Servant Leadership Institute. And when I met him, he had just bought Datron, and he was ready to transform it uh, from a power-based style of leadership to a servant-led company. Uh, this was probably uh, 2004, right in December going into 2005. This idea he had to transform the company he had just bought was not going to be easy or quick because uh, Datron had been owned and operated by leaders who, well, they really encourage conflict uh, between individual leaders and departments, uh, and the whole culture was driven by the numbers, and I would have to say fear-based. 
And when I interviewed one of the employees way back then, he told me that you could feel the hate as you walked down the hallways. So, you know, the relationship with Datron is the relationship with art, and the relationship with art is really beginning 2004, today, 2017, a long history of, of just working with a leader who you'd want to follow. You know, um, and and why do you want to follow him? And I, when I think of art, I think of the word caring, mm-hmm. and I think of the word committed. You know, he just is a caring and committed. When I first met him, first time I ever physically saw him, he was in a shop coat, and he was moving product around on shelves on Detron's manufacturing floor. And and that, that just always has stayed in my mind because that's so art. He cares at all levels. You know, he cares for the details. He cares for his company, his people, and he cares for his products. And he, and he is driven by a vision of having a positive impact on, on other people. But he cares in the same way he cares for his family, his children, his wife. That's what you get from art uh, as a leader that you would follow. Just this caring and commitment. But underneath it is his caring and commitment to his own growth and development as a leader. So since 2004, Art is someone who, who learns and who is very transparent about he's in process of learning. So he shares his stories. So as he was developing as a servant leader back in 04 or 05, just at the beginning of his journey, he committed his direct reports, his senior team, to their development. And I supported him as we helped them develop their first strategic plan. Well, it's wonderful. It's such it's it's great for our audience, I think, to hear how this has evolved, um, the Institute and mm. where we're from and, and you really being involved since the beginning. And I think he said many yes. really important things there, Jeannie, about art and that he talks about get out of your office, go talk to people, right? And so you saw yes. him out and about a lot and, you know, knowing the details and, and talking to people. That's so important, isn't it? Yes. Yes, critical. No, it's our ability, art's ability and the kind of leaders that we admire and we are willing to follow who invest their personal time in in relationships and building one-to-one relationships and in and in sharing who they are and learning about the other person what they do is motivate and engage the commitment of the other person because those people feel cared for and genuine, genuinely asked, you know, how they can support mm-hmm. uh, building a culture with our, well, you know, yeah. so he's quite a great role model. Well, taking us back so, to... So he engaged me and, and Michael Coffey to develop the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was uh, very involved and very caring and committed on that curriculum, too. He, I remember spending many hours trying to decipher his red line edits <laughs> to, to, to improve Well, that the hasn't body changed. Do you, oh, are you, do you still deal with red line edits? Yeah, red line edits are never easy to decipher. But what, what you're talking about, just to help the audience here, is the 
the development of servant leadership training material that I know Art went out and looked for this type of training material that would help him again implement servant leadership. Uh, he, he saw a lot of great things about reading about it and the concept and, and research about it, but he couldn't find anybody to help him, okay, help me get this into my company though and make that change. And so you were instrumental in doing that. And I want to take you back just something you said in the very beginning. I mean, you, you went through your background pretty quickly, but it is immense, the background you have in organizational development. And I think what I heard you say is later in life, when you found servant leadership, it's like that's who you you really always were, right? That That's how you wanted to, going forward, teach and develop leaders was from a more service-based, a leader like you describe yes. art that cares about people, right? Yes. So it was a gift he gave me, really, because he was saying, give me the best what you've lived through for the past decades <laughs> as a consultant. Right. To know, give me what you think. So Michael and I designed the curriculum with Art's help that reflected the best thinking from all the great philosophers and world leaders throughout history who taught the importance of being a leader who serves others. And it emerged that the curriculum focused on nine behaviors, like serve first and build trust, and those behaviors represent not only the teaching from history and history's leaders, but arts, and mine and my colleagues' decades of, of learning. I had, by the time I reached art in my life, been in over 100 corporations and nonprofits. So I had been taught by the people and places that I had worked. You know, so the curriculum became very exciting in a sense, you know, mm-hmm. uh, very exciting when human resource leaders that we were working with with one of the institute's clients kindred who we can talk about if you like but when i asked the hr leaders who, who deal with you know um, the need to coach and develop or counsel people how often they coach to one or more of our nine behaviors from the curriculum their answer was 98 percent of the time the nine behaviors were the focus of their development efforts with people Wow. And see, that's terribly reassuring because that. what does that tell us? Mm-hmm. It tells us we're on track, you know, that if we focus on demonstrating the nine behaviors of servant leadership, we'll positively learn and we'll grow and grow ourselves and grow others. Because it's all as about leaders how we're worth following. Right. It's all about how we behave as a leader, right? So that's why, yes. yeah, you were able that. That's fascinating. And so. You were involved in the transformation of Daytron, which for our listeners uh, that don't know, that's a radio manufacturing company based in Vista, California. It's a global company. And as Jeannie was saying in the beginning, when Art bought the company, it had one of the most toxic cultures. But he was inspired by Ken Blanchard to um, change the culture, which takes several years, to a servant-led organization. And Jeannie was one of the key people involved in that transformation so now we're going to fast forward we had that transformation but then he started the institute to help other people mm-hmm. and uh, to, to this yeah. day that continues to be his sole motivation is I want to help other people do this other organizations so you've been key in that as well you mentioned Kindred and maybe you can share a bit about that story with our audience of 
your involvement in again changing a culture in this case it's a healthcare organization world um, throughout the nation yes kindred's a wonderful client they've been with us uh, i think we're in our fourth year mm-hmm. is that correct i think of so. relationship with them yeah their uh, guiding message is hope healing and recovery and they have you know everywhere i am in the united states i run across a kindred facility so they run mm-hmm. you know uh, hospitals and nursing centers and home health and hospitals uh, you know just in many locations throughout the United States they have a hundred and four thousand people and they provide services in two thousand three hundred and fifty three locations oh. so that's you know what we have in kindred in the in uh, the partnership with the Institute is a wonderful client to say, can we, can we partner in a, in a large corporation that is so spread out geographically and has its, you know, its own intention, its own goals. And what we were able to do, they, they gave us someone who was wonderful to work with, um, Michael Tatelbaum, and he helped us understand They had just refreshed their values based on employee input, and they wanted to um, align servant leadership with that value change and other initiatives. So the Institute, and we learned, and based on past experience, how to be adaptive with clients, you know, to understand their journey until they reached us so we could reflect that journey as we partner with them to teach servant leadership. Um, so we learned, um, you know, and they helped us pilot in three locations mm-hmm. and then stage incremental rollout. still going on. They're still rolling it out a- and it works. And what we do with Kindred is train trainers and those HR trainers go out to these various locations and they really affect, uh, you know, positive change in each hospital, in each healthcare facility that they go. They're they're very pleased. But the HR consultants are not only trained in they're trained in servant leadership, but they know their company mm-hmm. and they make personal relationships. So it's a great model of how to bring servant leadership to a whole you know country. Really, our other clients are are different, and they use it in different ways. Mm-hmm. When you talk about the positive change and that it's it's working, servant leadership is working, how do they measure that? Help our audience understand how you ascertain it's working. Yeah, we always ask them to choose their own most important measures. Uh, and for Kindred, they experimented with a lot of measures, but in the end, focused on employee levels of employee engagement. Because if they feel if they get the engagement, um, they're going to get everything they want in terms of growth, volume. Um, they're going to get reduction in turnover. They're going to get an increase in patient or family satisfaction. So for them, they experimented over years on measures with their balanced scorecard, but they ended up with focusing on employee engagement. And I don't know if you want to speak about North and Grumman. Sure. Northrop Grumman, they're a big company. And I think they they focused on just at the beginning um, the growth of leadership involvement. Mm-hmm. You know, and they did it in a different way. Uh, 
we didn't do deep trainer trainers. We simply went out there and art did an education, and they created uh, what they call a community of practice. So their um, measures, at least in this stage, they're just you know lifting off in the past mm-hmm. year, um, is how many of the divisions are coming on board. You know, okay. how much are the leadership engaged? Right. I think what you said that's so important is servant leadership isn't a cookie-cutter type of situation. I mean, we have to meet people where they are, um, and what they want to accomplish is different throughout, you know, depending on the company. And Northrop Grumman, this was a division of uh, the company, found this worked very well for them to do these lunch and learns with a, a leadership group and, and go through each yeah. behavior, and so we are able to help them that way. But as you think about all the different companies you've worked with over the years, Jeannie, what would you say are three common challenges that organizations face when, when changing their cultures to a servant-led uh, approach? I mean, what are some examples and... How would you say, you know, you've got maybe three common challenges that they face? Yeah, I, it's interesting. I see it again and again is that we're going to be successful. The Institute is going to be successful if we've got leadership commitment. So one of the most common changes is in changing a culture is to what extent is leadership really committed? For instance, in the case of Northrop Grumman, it started in a di- in a in a division, so we weren't talking about top level um, commitment, but we were talking about the commitment of those engineers and their vice president in that division. So wherever you're starting, however big your your uh, grasp is, leadership commitment is first, and and that and their commitment as in the story of art, to personal transformation and growth. In other words, they have lived through it. The champion that drove the Northrum Grumman project deeply believed in servant leadership and had changed his own leadership style by it. He had also gone to all the servant leadership conferences to keep motivated, and then he began influencing others. Or art story of constantly willing to look at his own need to grow and learn as a leader. So real authenticity uh, as part of your leadership commitment and willingness to grow, willingness to tell your real stories, uh, your successes, your failures, and willingness to listen and and learn from everyone. So leadership commitment, if you don't have it, um, forget it. And if you're going to grow it, like from one engineer in one division, as in Northrop Grumman, give it time to see how many more you can bring come aboard. Mm -hmm. In a, in literally being able to see how servant leadership changes the way you lead others. I think the second thing, which is of course related, is how do you the second challenge is how do you sustain change over time. And it's a willingness to accept that cultures really change very slowly. They change one person at a time. 
and they ha- have to be willing to tend the culture in small and large ways, never ending. Just it always is going to go on because you keep bringing in new people and the dynamics change. Mm-hmm. So how do we how do we engage committed leaders? How is it real for them and personally meaningful? And how do we sustain change over time? And the third factor I find really useful if we can do it. You know, you you know it's like a can check that off. It's going to sustain. Uh, they are committed. It's the third factor, which is focusing on coaching to the nine behaviors. So embedding the nine behaviors, the language practices into every direct report and requiring the direct reports to do the same with their people, then you're going to have a simple but very powerful focus that gets embedded into the organization, how we hire, how we train, how we orient, how we develop, how we review them in performance. So that, you know, if you look at it all together, you've got, you know, inspiring vision and goals, you've got uh, committed leaders who are going to sustain over time, and you have a focus on nine behaviors, uh, leadership behaviors. To me, if you've got that, it's it's going to hold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are great. And I think so much with the behaviors, which, by the way, uh, note to our listeners, our nine behaviors are on our website. So if you go to servantleadershipinstitute.com, you can grab those nine behaviors like, you know, serve first, build trust, um, increase your influence, be courageous. And so many of these things, when they talk about, when we talk about implementing servant leadership, and where do you begin, what can I do? Um, it is in how you behave. That word has different connotations, but it it is what it is. I mean, it, it is how you behave as a leader and you will be a leader worth following. You will build trust when you yourself start with this transformation um, and really, like you said, own it and commit to it. And I know, Jeannie, in the way that you designed our training material, level one, if you will, is the man or woman in the mirror. You know, we start with ourselves and this is uncomfortable at times, but so important, right? Because if you don't have this authenticity, you know, people aren't aren't going to really be inspired to to follow you. And people know. It's like children know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Children know when you're listening, when you're not listening. But people know. People in corporations know when someone is authentic and mm-hmm. someone isn't. Well, those are great. Now, when you take those three things, leadership commitment, personal transformation, coaching the behaviors, how does the management team of these organizations that undergo and commit to doing this type of change, how, how do they begin? What are their top three challenges to, to begin this? What would you say they're faced with? Yeah, it goes back to... Um sort of the issue or challenge of teams at the top, um, which is a phrase I learned, you know, some years ago. But my first consulting appointment was with a a bank where they were going to merge three banks into one. And um, I was directed from three presidents. So out of three banks, three cultures form one. And there were three presidents to start with, each of whom who had a different focus. Um, 
you know, that played to their strengths. One was focused on finance and the numbers. One was focused on marketing and image in the community and new image for the new bank. One was focused on the people. But luckily, they directed me to this, um, their direct reports, the vice presidents. Vice presidents representing uh, finance, uh, HR, operations, marketing. And now these, these people are coming from different cultures. So they're not friendly. <laughs> they're, they're like, my bank did well. I don't know why we hadn't worked with you. You, know, you didn't do as well as us. So, it, you know, I could see. And the other issue, when you look at the word teams at the top, mm-hmm. teams at the top, the reason those single leaders got to be vice president of marketing or operation was because they were good at leading their own groups. But that doesn't mean they need, know, know how to act as a team. So one of the real issues that you find as you go into corporations, and I found early in my career, which was a godsend at the time, was these are good singer leaders, but they're, they do not, have, do not know how to coalesce mm-hmm. and unite as a team for the greater good. And luckily, I had been directed by the three presidents, go build a strategic plan with them, go facilitate strategic planning. And that's what I learned many years later, that the way to coalesce a senior team is to get them working on a common work product. Mm -hmm. Well, it was fascinating as they took pride in building the new strategic plan for the new bank and that they had to communicate throughout all the branches. So they, they owned it and they united and they coalesced. And so when you're trying to build a management team, you have to understand that you've got that challenge. You probably have a lot of single leaders with ego and pride that got them to where they got. Mm-hmm. But now you have to coalesce and unite them around how will they bring servant leadership into their organization and what individually will they commit to in terms of their own personal transformation. Right. Very tough. Mm-hmm. Very I was tough. just recently working with an executive team and like uh, like the people will tell you in training oh the execs always want this done for us they think we need this stuff but they don't do anything for themselves (laughs) right so that's what you've got to overcome you've got to deal with either vp level or senior most level where are they in terms of their own willingness to personally transform and to coalesce as a team rather than be a bunch of individual leaders. Mm, Great point. You know, one of the questions we love to ask all of our guests on our podcast program, a simple question in a way, but has much layers to it, and that is just in your opinion, Jeannie, what makes a good leader? Well, it's interesting. You know, there's a book some years ago, that we refer to when we train, but it's the Jim Collins book, Good to Great. Mm-hmm. And the first chapter, if you get nothing else, read the first chapter because the first chapter will break some of your paradigms about what makes a good leader. A good leader, what makes a good leader, I think they have vision and goals, uh, but they rely on the team to have them with them, to, to develop them collaboratively and to carry it out collaboratively. They're collaborative leaders. They develop others. And referring it again to art, they're caring and they're committed to personal growth and the growth of others. 
So they're authentic, they're real. And the other piece that I find is they're able to stay focused in the present moment with people. Mm, that's like a, a that's lot of important. my coaching deals with people that are just dragged under by the amount they have on their plates and the speed at which things are happening and changing. Mm-hmm. And I call it the undertow. Don't let mm. the tide sweep you away, sort of grab you by the ankle. Don't get swept up in mm-hmm. the busyness and the and the change. Stay present with people. They'll feel it. And so I think a good leader stays knows how to stay present. And so if you step back from all those things I named, I think what we have is in good leaders and great leaders is a high level of emotional intelligence, mm, critical. Uh, a real self-awareness of how they think, what they're thinking, how to manage their thinking, how to be in the present moment when they need to be, and their awareness of others. Well said. Now, that that's terrific. All so important in that being present. Easier said than done, but uh, I do find that with the development of servant leader, Ship, that is one of the benefits because you do become more self-aware emotional intelligence does increase and you're more present in the moment with like you said so much going on in the world well wrapping up here we've got one more question we've loved this conversation Jeannie and hope you come back um, you have so much to share in your insights and experience over the years so um, we've loved talking to you we've got one more question here and that is what advice would you give a leader who is considering beginning the servant leadership journey? So no matter where they are in the organization, let's just say they've been inspired and um, they want to start, um, what advice would you give them? Well, that, that first piece that we talked about was be prepared to work on yourself and your own growth and your own emotional intelligence uh, because that will inspire you and give you the positive energy to influence others to grow alongside you and it might be one person at a time so life will based on your own focus and energy and authenticity you will inspire others and life will present you with the opportunity to do that and then support them in the way that you need to you might have to mentor them or just encourage them to read certain books and literally find out their own reasons for buy-in and commitment to personal growth and cultural change. So you're really expanding one by one your sphere of influence. Um, there, there was a great quote that just came across my desk the other day that, that says what you need underneath as you, as you um, begin the servant leadership journey. And it's a quote from, I think it must be an Indian named Tagore. I've never heard of him. But he said, I slept and dreamt that life was joy. Hmm. I awoke and saw that life was service. I acted and behold, service was joy. And I think that's what happens to mm-hmm. people. And in a recent study I just read two days ago, it was found that when you compare those who are very well-to-do you know, financially and committed to their own personal happiness and do everything they get to be happy. And they compared that group of people, wealthy people who give themselves boats and cars and Mm -hmm. trips, 
versus those who are less well-to-do but committed to serving others, mm-hmm. it was the serving others group that was the happiest. Wow. I, that, yeah, I've heard that before, and it's so true, isn't it? Read that quote one more time for us so we can. It's such a yes. good note, especially these in these times we find ourselves in. That's a great, great quote to end on, I think. Yeah, and I think when you have that insight from the quote, it's what clicks you over to just relax and start to inspire others Mm because you deeply believe it. So the quote is, I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I awoke and saw that life was service. I acted and behold, service was joy. Profound. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah, Thank I you. love it. I think Art will like it. <laughs> yes, we'll definitely give shoot. it to Art. I'll I send will. it to you in a. I'll send it to you in an email. Okay, that'd be great. Well, listen. I know your time is precious, and we're so grateful um, you carved out a little bit of time for us today and share all this great knowledge you have with our audience. Um, we hope you'll come back here in the near future, and we'll talk again. Thank you so much. And I want to just encourage all of our listeners to head over to servantleadershipinstitute.com. And uh, we've got a lot of podcasts, other podcasts and blogs and articles and information there for you. So please um, take advantage of all that's there on the Institute's website. And also you'll see um, some information about our upcoming conference in February. So it's in San Diego. It's going to be fantastic. It's navigating servant leadership, very much on the topic we talked about today on how we do this part of uh, servant leadership and really embedded in people in the organization. So we hope to see you there. And for now, we'll say goodbye. And thank you again, Jeannie. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Uh, Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And for more information on the Servant Leadership Institute, visit us on our website. That's www.servantleadershipinstitute.com. And registration is now open for our 2018 Servant Leadership Conference titled Shift into Drive. On stage, we have the pleasure of having presentations by our founder, Art Barter, as well as Mark Miller, VP of Training and Development for Chick-fil-A. Returning from last year, we have Vicki Clark and also Ken Blanchard, with more speakers to be announced soon. The conference will be held at the Marriott Marquis in San Diego, California, February 19th and 20th, with a complimentary networking event, February 18th. And you can also subscribe now to receive our weekly tips by going onto our website. These are great short tips that are intended to challenge and motivate you while you are going through your servant leadership journey. And finally, we would love you to grab a copy of our latest publication, The Servant Leadership Journal, written by SLI founder and CEO Art Barter. This is an 18-week journey to transform you and your organization, available now on our website and on Amazon.com. Thank you for listening and allowing us to add value to your day. 